Let's pray. God, we thank you for your story. We thank you that you invite us into it. And as we, um, yeah, lean into this story of how you invited Zachariah into um, being the father of John. And um, yeah, I pray, Lord, that as we, as we read these words, uh, they may be familiar. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see your story in the midst of some of the familiarness of Christmas, um, and that we would be um, in awe of the way that you orchestrate your timing in these stories and in our own. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 5 begins, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And we'll skip down to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No. He is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. 
Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. All right, we're going to do a a few observations based on this this context that lead us into Zechariah's song of praise. First of all, Luke, the author of, of this gospel, uh, tells us that this, this time period was during uh, Herod's reign, or King Herod. Now, there wasn't really a king. Uh, this was sort of a self, self-imposed self kingship of, of Herod, uh, really under the control of Rome. Now, the Jews, the, the people of Israel, they had been trampled underfoot by one evil regime after another for centuries. And so there was this idea, this picture of, of really a time of, of darkness and gloom, that was reigning over over the land. And Luke tells us that there was this priest. His name was Zechariah. It says that he was a descendant of Aaron, and he actually married a woman from the line of Aaron. Now, as a, as a priest, he needed to marry someone from, from within the, the Levitical uh, priesthood tribe, but she actually was also from, from, uh, directly from the line of Aaron. And so there was a, a, really a sense of, of the blessing of God on, on this couple of how they were together. It was kind of, it's kind of like a, I don't know, if a, a pastor's child marrying another pastor's child. I don't know, just, just kidding. Not that that would be that, but, but it was uh, the sign of this, this, oh, this must be a, a beautiful arrangement. And yet Luke tells us that they were childless. It says that they were righteous. It doesn't mean that your, might, your translation might mean, say blameless. It doesn't mean that they, they were sinless. It just meant that they did what was right and they were servants of God. But they didn't have a child. And this would have been a continual uh, uh, bane to, to their existence in the community as far as how people would see them and look at them. Why God would not have blessed them with a child. There's one temple, but there was many priests, and they were assigned, as Luke tells us, into different tribes and they, for various acts of service. And one of these acts of service was burning incense in, in the holy place. And so the temple was divided with a, into these two rooms. One was the holy of holies, and the other was the holy place. And so the, the holy of holies, or the most holy place, was the place where the high priest would only once a year would come in and offer a sacrifice for the people. And this was the, the room outside of that, just the, the holy place, where they would offer incense on a regular basis. And this occasion, Zachariah's name was, was drawn out of, from the lot. This would be a, a one-time thing. Like a priest would be able to do this one time in their life, and, and perhaps never, some of them never actually got to do it at all because there was really so many priests. And so Zechariah gets this, this honor. 
And in this honor, um, you know, he's, he's prepared, and he goes, goes in, and uh, he lights the incense. And here comes angel Gabriel. And I think in terms of us hearing this story and understanding, you know, we hear stories of angels uh, throughout the seasons. And, you know, as far as when we look at God's word, and particularly during this Christmas season, the, the angel messengers and, and such to the shepherds and to Joseph and Mary. But in this particular time, this was, was, a, was a rare occurrence in terms of actually hearing from God. There had been a time that the Lord had been silent. There hadn't been any word from a prophet for 400 years. And here, Gabriel presents himself to Zechariah while he's offering this incense. And he tells him that, that your prayer, Zechariah, has been answered. You will have a child. And so our minds, as we read that, would connect those two things and, and say, well, Zechariah must have been you know, praying for a child. A couple things probably going against that is really that he was on, on duty as a priest, so he probably wouldn't have been offering a, a self-focused prayer, uh, but also the fact that he was old. It says he was old. And so perhaps he was thinking, you know, that ship has sailed. And so it wasn't like he was still, you know, praying for a child at that time. He must just have come to the idea that, well, that was the Lord's will, and, and that was that. And so what was the prayer Perhaps, and you know, we're speculating, but you know, most commentators would say that he was probably, as a priest, and lighting incense, he was praying for the redemption of Israel. And Angel Gabriel says, Your prayer has been heard, plus, you're going to have a child. And like Abram and Sarah, when the angel told them, You are going to have a child, even in your old age, after being barren for so long. Um, Zachariah says, uh, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. We're old. And in a way, he's basically saying, if I don't believe it and you're an angel, I'm going to need some proof. I'm going to need a sign. And in a way, Gabriel gives him this. He says, okay, well, you've asked for it. Uh, you're going to actually be mute. You're not going to be able to speak until the time comes when this comes to fruition. And so Zechariah finishes his service as the priest. He goes home, communicates this somehow to Elizabeth, what he has seen, what he has heard. Uh, and, and then he, I guess he'd have to at some point broach the subject and say, you know, we're old, but remember that thing we used to do? Because the angel said, we're going to have a child. And you know, this, it doesn't say that this was an immaculate conception. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it, Elizabeth gets pregnant. She goes away for the five months. Fast forward. Baby is born. We come to this. Eight days later, they're naming the child, circumcising this little boy, name him after his father. That was the custom. They figured that would be the case. But Elizabeth, no, she is... She's heard this. She's, she's understood what Zechariah has, has heard from the angel and knows. No, his name is, is to be John. Well, they say, we better check with the father. I didn't trust her word. And goes to Zechariah. 
And, and it's curious because they say they, they made signs to him, they gestured to him, you know, kind of like, what, what do you think? And curiously enough, I mean, he, the immediate thought is like, he can't, he can't speak. It's not like he's deaf, but he might also have been deaf. <laughs> but he asked for an iPad. It says a writing tablet, you know, the original writing tablet, but it probably was, you know, a piece of, of material or wood or something that had some wax on it. And he communicates on it very clearly. His name is John. His name is John. Don't you love scripture? It's, it's raw. It's, it's real. It doesn't sugarcoat things or, or polish things up nice and neat. It talks about real people with real fears, real questions and doubts and real hopes. See, Zachariah and his wife, they're, they're just really normal, everyday people. And this is who God chooses to use for his purposes. Might be a question that comes out of this today that you can maybe have percolating in your mind. We'll come back to it at the end, but let me ask you this. What do you do when God seems silent? What do you do when the world around you makes no sense? It's chaos. And what do you do when you experience deep personal disappointment? What do you do? Well, there's an option before you. You could quit the faith. You could lose hope. You could abandon God. That is an option. When you play this out, though, it, it is curious in thinking, like, where would that leave you? What advantage would that give you? Scripture reminds us and tells us over and over again, and, and this is what we do as a church as we gather weekly and and often throughout the week in ministries and life groups, we remind each other of why we continue to cling to hope. Why we continue to hold to the promises of God. And so in Scripture, in these real people with real stories, real hopes and fears and doubts and everything, we can hear the testimony of those who said, we're going to hang on tight to God, no matter what. Harder than ever before, even when it's hard. And even when things aren't working out the way that we think they should. This is, after all, faith. And this is a lesson that we learn from the heroes of our faith, who, even like Zechariah, even in times of darkness, what did he do? He kept serving, kept worshiping, kept clinging to God, who would prove himself faithful in keeping his promises. All right, so we're going to look at our, our main text now in the song of Zechariah, or just about, we're getting there. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah, as he, as he was pr prophesying this, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this, this term is used uh, in this context, and it's actually used earlier, verse 15, if you notice, about John was the angel says this is what is going to be the case for your son your son will this will be the plan for for his life and it says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit when even before he was born 
And take note of that. That, that, is the, that is the only time, only time on record that that is said of someone. That he would have the, the filling of the Spirit before he was born. A special task for John. And so here in verse 67, Zacharias, he's preparing, you know, as he's holding this child, they've named the child, circumcised the child, and then the Spirit comes upon him. Here's a little question for you, I guess there's something for you to take home and do some homework on if you are so inclined. Study the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Because sometimes, uh, with a probably theological inaccuracy, we think, oh, the Holy Spirit only came at Pentecost. We read about that in, in Acts. And so we think, oh, the Holy Spirit only actually came at Pentecost. And that's obviously, you know, not true. We see evidence of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is the third person of the Trinity, fully active in the Old Testament. We see the, the Spirit's work in creation. We see the Spirit giving extraordinary power to, to specific people, to judges. You take like Samson, where the Spirit came upon him and he did these incredible uh, things, acts of, of strength. The Spirit came upon prophets to give messages from God. Kings as they led, warriors as they fought, and even artisans and craftsmen who, who built things and, and built the temple. The Spirit empowered them. The Spirit gave prophetic messages, and this is what we see here with, with Zechariah. In fact, nothing significant happens without the Spirit's work, enablement, and empowerment. But the sign of the last days, or the, the era of faith, as we've been talking about in our Galatians series that we're just pausing right now on, there's a, this era of faith was, was birth came about as the Spirit came upon early believers, and there was the outpouring of, of the Spirit on all people, on all flesh, fulfilling the prophecies that you'd find in Joel and Ezekiel, part of this, the new covenant in Christ. And so the Spirit has always been at work. One commentator describes it like this, that the Spirit in the Old Testament was like a, a powerful river flowing, ever-present, ever-powerful. But then at Pentecost, it was like, like we would have today a, a modern day, like a, a, a dam with turbines that would take the water and, and just amplify the power so that all could receive the power releases resurrection power for all who believe. So there's something for you just to, to chew on, to think about as you look at the work of the Spirit throughout Scripture. Okay, Zachariah's song. Here we go. It's a prophetic poem. Did he actually sing it? You know, I don't know. It's a song, but it's a, it's a poem. Uh, I don't know if you, as a parent, if you ever had, you know, you have a child or a grandchild or friend's you know, child that you would sing over the child, right? I used to, to sing when our, our, uh, our daughter, Bria, um, I, when, when she was born, I would sing. And I sang a particular song. It was Michael W. Smith back in the day, uh, Picture Perfect. And I sang this song over her as I put her to sleep. And, and it, it's just a, it was a fun song and dancing around with her and putting her to sleep and that kind of thing. Uh, we would sing over, over your children. Interestingly enough, my daughter Bria, my oldest, turned 30 yesterday. Yeesh. Long time since I sung that song over her. 
But Zachariah sings this song. You can picture him holding his, his son. And this song, this poem, this prophetic poem can be broken down into various themes. I just simply want to identify the two kind of key reasons that, that Zachariah sings out this praise song. The overarching big story of the Messiah that, that Zachariah sees as, as priority one. And then the second half of it is where he sees his own part, or rather his own son's part in the story. All right, here we go. Part one, the big, the big picture, the big story. He starts out with praise. He says, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Notice that Zachariah is praising God for what he has done. What he has done in bringing about his salvation, even though, note that Jesus hasn't even been born yet. I think that Zechariah, he's, he's learned his lesson from his angelic encounter. That God was going to keep his promise. And God is bringing about the fulfillment of his plan. And so what does he recognize that, that God has done? He's giving him praise because, first of all, he has redeemed, it says. He's redeemed us. The idea of redemption being bought back, that salvation came with a price. There was a cost, and it's a price that we could not pay. And so God himself paid it, and we know that he paid it with his own son. Praise because he has raised up a horn of salvation. You know, maybe your thoughts and my thoughts was like kind of like this horn that you would like blow in a, in a battle or something like that. But that's not really the picture of it. The idea, just the, the horn of salvation, it's just the picture of like a, a, a mighty animal with a, with a horn, like a bull. It's a, a picture of strength. He's raised up a strong salvation. And he says it's from the house of David. And that's, that's important in this because up until this point, he could be talking about this child that he's holding in his hands. This fulfillment of the promise of God. Maybe, you know, it could have been, oh, John, you are to be the one that will be the redeemer. But no, he says it's from the house of David. And that wasn't Zachariah's house. It was from Mary's house where the Messiah would come. It says he has remembered his covenant out of his mercy out of god's mercy he's not forgotten his oath to abraham and again referring to where we're at in our series in galatians this this promise this this covenant that god made with abraham that he would remain faithful to it and, and zachariah is recalling that and he says he hasn't forgotten his promise to abraham to bring deliverance to his people and for them to be a light to all nations. Praise be to God. Praise because he has rescued us. It's for the purpose of, of what? It's, it's not just to be a people, but it's actually so that he says they would be empowered to serve without fear. To be set apart for God and to do what is right. That's why he rescued them. So this is the first part, the big story. Second part is the, the small story. Zechariah turns to his son, holding him in his, in his arms, and he's speaking this purpose over him, fully recognizing his part in what God was doing. He says, you, my child, you, my child, speaks over him this clear purpose that he would prepare the way for the Messiah. 
We turn a little bit farther in, in Luke to Luke 3, 4 to 6. And this is where John now comes on the scene. And, and this is the prophecy that he is fulfilling. As it is written in the books of the words, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John living up to his purpose in the plan of God. This is what he was to do. It says at the end of this, this passage that, that John would, would live in the wilderness. It doesn't describe like how, you know, he would do it. I have this kind of picture in my mind that, you know, I don't know, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, I don't know what age, you know, John would be that he's like, okay, you know, pack your bag. You're going for picnic. And then, you know, you're, you're there in the wilderness. I don't think it, you probably wouldn't have abandoned him there. But potentially there was someone else, perhaps Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age passed away. And so here someone else had to raise their, their son. We don't know, speculation, but at one point or another, you know, he's, he's living in the wilderness. He's calling out in the wilderness, and people would go out to see him, and we see that throughout Luke's gospel. But John, very clear, very specific purpose. And he lived it. All right, just a few takeaways today, and then we're going to come to the table. First thing is, um, I'd say when we look at Zachariah and Elizabeth and their story, take away from this, there was an unshakable faith. And do you, do you have that? Do I have that? Despite the facts, you know, when, when the world is in chaos, when God is silent, when personally things are not working out the way we anticipated, will we stay resilient? Will we stay faithful? That's a lesson I think we can see in their story. Secondly, know that there is a bigger story than you, but that you're also a part of it. There's a bigger story than you. It was a, there would be a, a humility part of this, and it seems from everything we would see from Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they had a, a humble spirit. But as, as an angel would come to them and share this, and they would communicate this, that, that God had chosen them to have this child, even in later times of life and the neighbors it says the neighbors were all talking about it it wasn't even in a way of gossip as much as saying what could this be what would this child end up to be that there could have been something like wow this is our child so special it was very clear to Zachariah and Elizabeth that they had one piece of a giant puzzle and so I'd say that for each of us today know that <laughs> You know, there, there's sort of a thing in our culture where it says, like, you, you are enough. Or, you know, you're all that's needed. It's, and I think I can understand the context of sometimes in that when, when, when you feel not, I don't know, confident in yourself. Or, but just this idea that's saying, you know, you are enough. Let me tell you this. You know what? You're not. You're not enough. God is enough. I'm not enough. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have anything that would put me in any position to be the pastor of this church and to, to lead you in any way that would say, oh, yeah, Kimball, wow, awesome. No. Know, know your place and realizing that you're, you're one part of the story. So there's a humble side of it to realize 
man, we're not enough, but God is enough. God is sufficient. That should be the whole point that we take away when we come to God. I'm not enough, but you are. I'm not adequate, but you are. You are sufficient. And yet at the same time, we see that God, this is who God uses. God chooses to use people, real people. Joseph and Mary, the shepherds, the innkeeper. Just kidding, he wasn't actually. And, oh wait, an old faithful priest and his wife. This is who God uses. So God continues to write his story. Know that you're not the hero of it. But God is. And God is using you as a part of it. And in particular, to share the story with others. You know, you'll have, no doubt, you'll have opportunity to share some of the story of Christmas with people this season. Don't miss it. Finally, there's, there's more that God is doing and will do. But hear this. Lock into what God has done in Jesus. Zechariah praised God for what he has done even before it was done. Like we're fully on the other side of this Christmas, this first Christmas. And, and beyond that, we're on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of our Savior. And so in that, we continue to pray for each other in hard circumstances. We continue to pray for peace in our world. We continue to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But hear this, we have a fixed point in the past that has dramatically changed our situation, our present and our future. And that fixed point is the cross where the Messiah, this, the horn of salvation, suffered and died. And so we as followers of Jesus, we continue to praise in this way, in the, in the same way that Zechariah did. Praise for what God has done. And so today that's what we're going to do as we respond to this message. By coming to this table, the Lord's table, and remembering what he has done for us. In becoming the sacrifice for our sins. And so as the worship team comes up. And I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup. And today I'm going to invite you, when we, when we have the bread and the cup in our hands and we receive it, I want you to, to audibly respond in unison, simply as Zachariah started his song, by just saying, praise be to God. All right, let's practice, all right? Praise be to God. Simple as that. So when we take the bread and we take the cup in response, just say praise be to God. Let me pray. God, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how uh, the story and the stories of people in the Bible um, share with us the, the bigger picture, the big story of, of your salvation. God, as we come to your table now, uh, we want to respond with gratitude and with praise. This is something that we could never do on our own. We were unable to do. And God, because of our, our sin, your word says that we fall short of the glory of God. But we turn to you, Lord Jesus, 
And we say thank you for, for what you have done for us in giving your life, by laying your life down for us on the cross. And so as we take this, this bread, we remember you. And we remember your body, which was given for us. As we take this cup, we remember the, the new covenant, the new agreement between us and, and God because of the blood that was shed for us on the cross through Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness, for reconciliation with God. We have peace with you because of Jesus. And so today as we come around this table and we participate together, we know you're present here with us. In Jesus' name we pray.